Romans chapter 8. I said verse 9, verse 19. Looking at verse 19. It tells us in God's word, for the creation was was for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the Son of God. Again, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Let me pray for us and Ask the Lord to help us as we walk through this one verse here this morning. Our Father, God, in heaven, Lord, we thank you, Lord, again for another Lord's Day with your people. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for a time of the proclamation of the word. That, Lord, we can sit up on the word, we can hear the word, we can be encouraged by the word. Lord, your word, Lord, does so much for us. So, Lord, let us, Lord, listen with attentive ears. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to break down the, the hard hearts, the prideful hearts. But let your word pierce through all of it. And for us to leave here today and say we met with our God. And say our God spoke to us through his word. That our God enriched us. So help us through your word today. Convict us, Lord, through your word today, Lord. And let us, Lord, shout in thankfulness, Lord, that your word has given us life that your word, Lord, have done wondrous, wonderful things for us here today. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to bless us through your word today. If our minds, Lord, are scattered, thinking about everything else, Lord, what's going to happen next week, this evening, whatever, Lord, bring our minds back to you right now. Let our hearts and our minds, Lord, be ready to hear your word, to be able to receive your word. So we ask you, Lord, to help us at this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Every year at my family gathering, my family will get together. If it can be Thanksgiving, it can be Christmas, it can be any time of year when all my family get together. It's a great time to rejoice. My mom is happy, my dad is happy, my brothers and sisters are happy. Not just one person gets to celebrate. Everybody gets asked to celebrate. Well, this will remind me of our test today. That when the sons of God is going to be revealed, not only for us as believers in Christ are going to be able to celebrate and be able to be excited what God has done, even creation is going to participate in that. So today it's going to encourage us that creation is waiting as well for the sons of God to be revealed. Waiting on God to be able to reveal what's to come. So it's going to be encouraging for us to know this. Is that we can be assured as brothers and sisters in Christ that Christ is coming back, that Christ is going to make all things new because creation is telling us, is telling us that as well. You might be asking Christ, how do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. In our test today, I pray that I walk you through this text and we'll be able to see how creation. It's just not idly waiting. That creation is eagerly waiting, eagerly longing for the sons of God to be revealed. We're going to do it in three points here today. First, God, we're going to deal with the first part of verse 19. What is creation in this text? What is creation in this text? I was listening to sermons throughout the week, studying this throughout this week. And a lot of times, a lot of times I saw a lot of scholars saying what is 
defining what is really creation here in this text. The second thing we're going to deal with is what is the creation doing in 19b? And the last thing we're going to deal with is who is this creation, creation waiting on? Who is this creation waiting on? So to jump to the first point here, what is the creation? It says in verse 19, the first part of this verse, for the creation. Paul is encouraging us to wait on the Lord. Our current trials don't compare to what is to come. What to come is our glorification. That we will be glorified with Christ. There will be a time that our entire being will be devoted to God's glory. Our eyes will want to see God's glory. Our hearts are devoted to God's glory. Right now on this earth, with our carnate flesh, our flesh is divided. Some moments our flesh serve God. Then some moments our flesh serves selfish gratifications. It's going to be a time that our flesh is going to be devoted to God in its entire being. So the sons of God are promised glorification. Even when things are hard on them, they still are promised with glorification. So now in our test today, the creation also encouraged us of our glorification. Creation is something that has been created. The definition of creation is something that has been created. God is not a creation because he is not created. The Father, the Son, and Spirit is not creation because they was never created. They have always existed. So beside the Trinity, everything else exists, was created. It was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The triune God was alone in creation, glorifying each other. The three persons the Father under the Son, the Son was under the Father, the Spirit under the, the, uh, the Father and the Son. They was working together and glorifying one another. Listen what the confession says here about the creation. In the beginning, it pleased God for the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness to create or make the world and all the things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the spaces of six days, and all were very good. But the confession goes on further to talk about what happened to creation. Although God created man upright and perfect and gave him righteous law, which had been unto life, had he kept it, and thereunto death upon the breach thereof. Yet he did not long abide in this honor. Satan using the subtlety of the serpent to subdue Eve, then by her seducing Adam, who without any compulsion did willfully transgress the law of their creation. But the creation is fallen now and subject to vanity. Or some might say futility. 
We will talk about that, Lord's willing, next week. So when Adam and Eve sinned against God, their sin wasn't just vertical, but also horizontal. Amen. And now we see various effects of that. We see earthquakes. The earth is shifting. Some even scholars even show like how the land, if you look up on a map or look at a, a global map, you can see how the land, some like certain pieces like a puzzle piece, like the earth and continents can be shifted and put in play like a puzzle piece. Kind of further support what is happening that now the world is fragile. Also, we see that it's happening just recently in Hawaii and also as happening over the years, also on the West Coast, a wildfires. And not just the natural things that are happening within the earth, but also we know sin has affected even mankind. Murders exist now. Kidnappings. And many other things now because of sin came into this world. So the creation is not at peace now. But in our test, though, so we're talking about creation here. But what is this test referring to in creation? We define it the word creation, but what part of creation is this verse referring to? We find this out by working through the context of this text. Creation means different things throughout the Bible. So the struggle with our test today is how to translate creation. Is it referring to creature as in people? Many reformed scholars point to people. Is this creation referring to the universe? Many reformed people refer to this as universe. Or is it referring to everything created by God, people and universe? Some reform people point to people in the universe. Even for myself, at first reading this passage, I saw Paul having in mind all creation, people in the universe. But before we kind of come to where I see the text is actually saying here, let me quote a couple of verses here for us. Romans 1.25 Because they have changed the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Here we see in Romans 1.25, creature here is referring to mankind. Also we see in 1 Peter 2.13-14, be subject to the four, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governor as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Did you all know the word institution is actually the word creation? When it said to every human institution, it's actually created. I mean, it's actually the word created in the actual Greek. So now the creature in this word in actually First Peter 2.13, creature here is represented as establishment. We see another example in Mark 
And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, referring to all mankind. We also know another text, Revelation 3.14. To the church of Laodicea writes, the words of Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Our God created the earth. The symbol of these verses translate creature as everything made by God. Others refer to creation as unbelievers or believers. So, well, we need to figure out what is Paul doing here in our text. If you remember last week, Paul told us in Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory of that is to be revealed to us. Paul talks about how suffering is real. And it happens to often to all believers. Suffering is legit. It's legit suffering that is big, real big in our lives. Bigger than anyone can imagine. Suffering is it's difficult at times. A lot of times people say, well, trust the Lord. Don't worry about suffering. You can trust the Lord and still suffer. Suffering is hard. So it's the legit suffering that is bigger than one that can imagine. But we know suffering, at the end of the day, has to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When suffering is compared to the coming glory, it's not as big anymore. Even though suffering becomes so small, it doesn't negate how actually how big and hurtful it is. So we compare it to God's coming glory. Even though suffering becomes so small, it still is difficult in the Christian life. Dr. Moore Lord Jones says this: heavy the load of suffering you may be carrying now, it becomes nothing when you compare it with the weight of the glory of what is to be yours. Now the Lord John goes on to say this. It has no value at all. Suffering. It may have appeared to have some intrinsic value, but the moment you put it up against the standard, it is nothing. It is valueless. You simply write off the thing which you thought before was so valuable. So see how suffering is big. But it becomes a compare to the glory of God. It becomes valueless. So Paul calls suffering a like affliction when compared to the eternal glory. So Paul last week encouraged that terrible is the present suffering. The present suffering is legit, but it still can't compare to the eternal glory to come. So Paul in verse 19 gives us an example of this. That creation is eagerly waiting for this glory. First of all, this creation can't include unbelievers in this definition. It said the creation is eagerly waiting for the glory. Unbelievers are not waiting for God's glory. They see their own glory. They wait to see their own glory. They want to be over God. So we see this test. It's not referring to unbelievers. 
Unbelievers aren't waiting for the glory. They want their self desires now, and they want to be desired. Uh, they want things to be about them right now. So this creation came referred to God. Obedient angels. Because they are already standing before God's glory. The obedient angels, the angels that are not fallen, the ones that are around God's throne right now, worshiping his name. So it's not referring to angels. This creation came referring to believers because Paul in verse 23, we're going to learn in the next couple of weeks, lets us know that the creation referring to is different from ourselves. It says in verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves. He's making this distinction between creation and ourselves. Who have the first fruit of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons of our bodies. So it's not talking about believers here. So after working through the definition and the context of how creation is used in our text, we are left with God's natural created world. The trees, the stars, the animals, and etc. So the creation in our text today is referring to the natural world. The natural world that we see around us is waiting with eager longing. So what is this natural world? What is this creation doing? That brings us to our second point. It's waits with eager longing. We just defined the word creation. Now we're introduced to what this creation is actually doing. Remember Paul Gold is to further explain the glory to come. That Christians can be assured of the great things to come. Paul uses creation to further make this point. Because the creation is very similar to us as believers. When Adam sinned, it was cosmic treason. Cosmic treason. God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. And God put these holy angels around the garden to guard the, the guard so they would never, ever enter it again. The Lord the angel protected his guard now guarding the eating so Adam and Eve cannot go back in. Next week we're going to see very similar what God has done in creation. God had prevented the earth from being what it intended to be. When sin came into the world, the earth now... Even though it's limited, it tells in our text that the earth, the creation, is still waiting. The creation is waiting on the sons of God to be revealed. This waiting is not in the hospital waiting room. Those in the waiting room of a hospital are waiting and are at times are hopeless because they don't know what's going to happen. In a hospital waiting room, you don't know what is to come. This is different from our test today. But for the children of God, we are waiting with assurance. We know what's going to happen. We're not waiting in a, in, a, in a sense of being doubtful. Will they come? Will the sons of God be revealed? But the test tells us that they are coming. The sons of God are coming. 
This is good news that the Son of God will be revealed. We don't have to wait in doubtfulness and wait in a sense of thinking that they may not, they may not come. We are assured that the sons of God will be revealed. And the creation is eagerly longing for the sons of God. This eager longing can also be translated as eager expectation. One person says, it's like a child in the car asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there? A person checking on the mailbox, waiting for the income tax check. Is it here? Is it here yet? A person waiting on their check to get paid at the end of the week. And checking that account over and over. Is it there? Is it there? And they are assured it's going to be there. You're not second guessing it. Because you worked a long week, that that check is going to be there. This eager expectation is what Paul is getting at. That the creation is asking, are the sons of God, God, are they here yet? Are the sons of God going to be revealed yet? Paul is letting us know that we aren't the only ones that are waiting for the glorification, but also the creation is eager, longing for it. Again, Paul hardest to to root the believers in their identity. This is needed in the Christian life. That Christ would do what he said he was going to do for his people. That God is making all things new for the sake of his glory. And the creation is waiting on that. And we are waiting on that. So God has given us more and more assurance here. That Christians that are suffering. That God is going to come back. And God's going to bring his people to himself. And creation is telling us, telling us that as well. So when we see the beauty of the springtime, when we see the flowers come up, that is God, creation, and is shouting out that one day everything will be made new. Creation is shouting out at us that one day things will be made new. One of the things about the Ark of the Covenant, you have the the tables of stone with the Ten Commandments in it. You had bread, right? The manna. The manna that was in Ashul in the Ark of the Covenant. But also you had a, a limb or a stick. It was an almond that budded. The almond that budded within this limb was actually a picture again of Christ. This almond branch that was dead now came to life. The bread of life, right? The bread, the manna pointed to Jesus. The Ten Commandments pointed to Jesus. He's the true standard of moral law. The whole covenant pointed to the glorious Christ. So even the almond branch that was dead that came to life, it points to creation. Even in the wintertime, when everything seemed dead, it comes back to life from spring. What is God doing? God has given us no excuse to see that there is a God. The creation is yelling out that there is a God. The last one I'm going to deal with here to the morning then. Who is the creation waiting on? For the revealing of the sons of God. 
This word revealing is the same word as apocalypse. The same word we get for the book of Revelation. It's a thing that ought to be revealed. Paul made sure that we don't drift away into systematic theology here. And start focusing on the doctrine of creation or the doctrine of end times, which are good. It does talk about end times here in the last few verses about the sons of God are going to be revealed. Those things are really good. The doctrine of creation, talk about creation. Those things are really good to talk about. But the context here, the context here, it points us back to verse 18, which also ends with the word apocalypse, the same word as revealed. Let me read verse 18 again. For I consider that the suffering of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. But 18 points us back to verse 17. And if children, then of heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that, order that we may be also glorified with him. The purpose of verse 17 is to remind us that we will be glorified with Christ in the midst of suffering. In the midst of being heir, we'll be glorified with Christ. There'll be one day that everything that everything about our being will be devoted to God. Right now, our old flesh wants to devote everything to itself. But our new spirit and new flesh will be devoted to God for eternity. So within the context of this, Paul is using creation as an example here. Paul is also using, actually, the end times here. He's using both of them here to point to a glorious picture that Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, the suffering is coming, hard times are coming, but you will not be condemned. You will be glorified with Christ. Proof of those that will be glorified with Christ that they have been adopted by Christ. They are suffering with Christ. They are fighting the things of the flesh. These are the ones that will be glorified. So in verse 18, encourages us of the greatness of the day of glorification. That nothing is better than that day. That we will see God the way God has always intended for us to see him. The suffering now will be so small in comparison to being in God's glory forevermore. Well, in verse 19, encourages us even more by using creation as an example of not just God is waiting for us to be glorified, but also the creation is waiting for us to be glorified. Family, this is biblical theology. This is reading the Bible through. A lot of time we spend so much time in systematic, it is a time for systematic theology, taking Bible and putting them in different topics. Let's talk about creation. Let's talk about end times. Those are good things to talk about with eschatology. But here in our text, though, is that let us be not so quickly to go to systematic theology and focus on a doctrine of creation and a doctrine of eschatology and see what God is doing in our actual text. In our actual text, God is encouraging struggling believers with day-to-day life. Christian brothers and sisters, we have more than enough support rooting us, us, rooting for us, and for us to trust Christ.
God has given us so many examples to let us know when work get hard, you have so many cheerleaders, so many people rooting behind you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the creation, God himself is cheering for you. Saying, brother and sister, trust me, trust me, trust me. So we can be assured that God is coming back. He will unite us to himself and we will not be condemned. And again, we are hoping that the sons of God are all believers that profess Christ. But as many, like Judas, that think they are sons of God and really not sons of God, and neither will be glorified. Everyone will not be revealed as sons of God. We have this easy belief as a believer, as a method of, 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 of theology or teaching that, that everybody goes to heaven, like this universalism. Everybody doesn't go to heaven. Only those who truly put their faith in Christ and Christ alone, truly trust in the sufficiency in Christ alone and his word alone, those are the ones that are assured they will be with Christ forevermore. So as I get ready to bring all this together, the creation is eagerly waiting to be made new. It's proof that we will not be condemned. We will be glorified so, don't, so we don't have to be discouraged during a battle with a flesh and a spear. So let me say this again. The creation is eagerly waiting to be made new. It's proof that we, will not, that we will not be condemned. We will be glorified so we don't have to be discouraged during the battle of the flesh and the spear. So I don't know what you're struggling with here today. Pride. I don't know if it's anger. I don't know if it's lust. I don't know what it may be, Christian. I don't know what it may be. But God encourages us, whatever the suffering may be, that we don't have to give in to it. We can trust Christ. We can rely on Christ. We can be rooted in Christ. This is another encouragement for this brother and believer. That when God glorified his sons and daughters, he would at the same time will make all things new in his creation. So family, if you feel like the battle of sin is winning, if you feel like you're saying something to your spouse that wasn't honoring to God, if you feel like you've done something to a co-worker that wasn't honoring to God, if you feel like you've done something to a sibling, uh, a sibling that wasn't honoring to God, be reminded that the earth is longing eagerly for you to be revealed as the Son of God. We aren't revealed yet, but the world is waiting on us to be revealed. And when we be revealed, the heavens and the earth will be testified to. Everything else will fall apart. For those that are going to be revealed to God, it's going to be the shine, shining. So, family, it's a guarantee that for those that are in Christ, we'll be glorified with him. So say no to sin now. Say no to sin and trust the Lord and truly rest in the Lord. Let me end with a few applications. This world has fallen, but God will make things new. 
This world is falling, but God will make things new. So don't be something to what the world has to offer you right now. What the world has to offer you will disappoint you. But trust in the things of Christ. Paul tells us in Philippians 3, 7 through 9. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that come from the law, but that which come through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul is a Jew a Jew. His pedigree, his Hebrew pedigree is supreme. He has so many things he can boast in in the flesh of what he has within his pedigree. Paul said he counted his whole pedigree and everything is lost. For the sake of Christ. So family, can you do that this morning? All your major, major accomplishments in this world that makes you who you are before your friends and family. That that's what they see and they boast in you on. Can you count all those major accomplishments as rubbish of knowing Christ? If you can, you see something glorious to come. You see something that's beautiful to come. And I'm not saying you can't enjoy accomplishment. Go. Make major accomplishment. Go be a doctor. Go be a lawyer. Go be an engineer. Make major accomplishment. But those accomplishments shouldn't be your, your identity shouldn't be in those accomplishments. Your identity should be in Christ and Christ alone. And so for those identity in Christ and Christ alone, you are already looking forward to the glory to come. Second thing. Remember, remember when you see highlights of the beauty of God's creation, that one day everything will be beautiful before God. That creation will be new one day. But not just creation, but we will all be made new that are in Christ. So what I said earlier, the beauty of the springtime is pointing us to the new creation that is coming. Go outside sometime. Go outside and just look at the nature. And just start thinking about, wow, these leaves, where the tree branches were empty at one time. But now they have leaves. Look at the water flowing. Then look at creation and just start seeing the beauty of God's creation. It always points us back to a new creation. We can't see it a lot of times because we're not outside enough. Go outside more. Lastly, sons of God will finally be presented to all creation. Our day is coming, family, with no more self-glory. No more making things about ourselves. I am often, I'm often doing it, making things about myself. It will be a day that we'll do everything for the fame of God's name, not our name. It's going to be God's name. And God's name alone. It's going to be about God and his glory. It's going to turn from mom and dad and friends and family, look what I have done. It's going to turn and say, mom and dad and friends, look what God has done. What God has done alone. 
One day will be peace. Every day is a battle between doing the things of my glory and God's glory. One day will be a peace. Peace is going to be a time where will be no more war. No more war. And not just no more war. It's going to be a victorious God on the throne. And we're going to be before him. No more battling because of our fallen flesh will be finally put away. Forever with all of I said lastly, but let me mention one more. For those that are not trusting in Christ, today's sermon is that Christ will save his people and judge the world. He will save his people and redeem his people. But for those that are disobedient, You will not be glorious. But you will see glory. You will see the glory of God's wrath placed upon you. God will punish sin and destroy sin. This week we was working this week and a couple of us working and one man was saying about how hot, about how hot it is outside. Well, we was burning some fire. Some fire. And it was pointing back to a picture of one man was asking for a drip of water in the scripture. It had been in hell and burning. Hell is for real, y'all. Many philosophers and many secular philosophers try to make all these things, put together things of that nature, try to say it doesn't exist. But hell is real. And for those who are not putting their faith in Christ, God will punish them forevermore. So turn to Jesus today. Turn to Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect, righteous life, a life that we were called to live, and we didn't live. Jesus lived a perfect, righteous life. He died for sinners. You can't save yourself. We couldn't save ourselves. That's why Jesus came, because we need somebody outside of ourselves to save us. And Jesus lived that perfect, righteous life. And then now, Jesus has called us to turn from our sin and put our faith in him. And for those that do, they get eternal life. For those that do not put their faith in him, they get God's wrath. Turn to Christ today. Let me pray for us.